0: Since
1: you been gone, things ain't the same. And it's a damn shame.
0: Cause I've seen you better days since I lost you. And nights have gotten longer in my days. Cold sunshine can get you off the mind. And every time I feel the touch of someone new. Good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith welcoming everybody into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. That's my old drinking buddy, Grant Jones, since I lost you, kicking things off for us today. I spent a lot of time on Fry Street in Denton, Texas back in the day. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if Grant's making music anymore, uh, to be honest with you, but... Uh, That one stands the test of time. Gosh, I can't believe that was almost 20 years ago now. Uh, Anyway, thank you so much for being here. It's funny thinking about how old you are, (laughs) how old you've gotten. Uh, Nobody outlasts father time. And maybe just coming to grips with that fact is the best way for us humans to deal with our own mortality. That and uh, the promise of those pearly gates. So uh, what's on the docket for today? I'm going to tell you all about it right now. So pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley thermos, the one Granddaddy passed down years ago. Maybe you spike it with some of Granddaddy's cough syrup. Maybe you don't. That's up to you. Uh, But pour yourself another cup because off the top, we're going to head to turkey camp with my good friend Chisholm Cook. My elk hunting buddy. Uh, we've spent a lot of time in the turkey woods and have been friends for again. God, there's that twenty year deal, but uh, yeah, about two decades. Uh, even co-host another podcast together, which I'm sure we'll mention during our discussion. But we had the most—I don't even just incredibly insane couple days in South Texas chasing long beards. The turkeys were doing. Uh, they were doing it right. <laughs> they were playing ball and then some. Uh, so we' we'll, uh, we'll recap that hunt and also discuss our favorite turkey camp recipe. So if you like uh, nasty bits and, and using the entire animal, then you certainly won't want to miss out on what has become a uh, turkey camp tradition for Chisholm and I. So turkey hunting, turkey recipe. Coming at you here in just a little bit. Uh, Then we'll head down to the Texas coast and visit with our coastal fisheries program leader, Robin Rikers of Texas Parks and Wildlife. How did snowmageddon and the epic freeze of February 2021 affect our coastal fisheries? Uh, You probably saw a lot of fish washed up on beaches. I know I saw way too many images of just piles of dead trout, redfish, baitfish, so Texas Parks and Wildlife, um, well, they, they kind of stepped in and, and took some measures to assess the, the damage. And, uh, and it's going to be reflected on, on anglers this, uh, this spring and summer. Uh, so we'll get into the emergency regulations that they put in place and then take a look back historically at previous freezes along the Texas coast and, and if they had long-term implications and how Robin sees that playing out um, with this freeze of of 2021. So cool stuff coming up with our old pal Robin Rikers. Uh, That's what's on the docket for today. Turkey and trout, essentially, are on the menu. Um, But, yeah, certainly looking forward to it. Let's do a quick giveaway here since turkey season is still in full swing, and we're talking turkeys today. I've got a three-pack of diaphragm calls from Hunter Specialties, I think it retails for like forty or fifty bucks. Uh, also, we'll throw in a Lone Star Outdoors Show First Light Cipher uh, Camo Pattern Cap, and uh, just going through the box of turkey stuff here. I've also got a brand new box call from Hunter Specialties as well. So we'll make it a box call and a diaphragm. So uh, any level turkey hunter can can get in the game with this uh, combo prize pack plus the First Light Cap. Just email the word, let's say gobbler that's Gobbler, to Lone Star Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into this week's giveaway. Coming up next, we'll hit the turkey woods with our old pal Chisholm Cook right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors Kicking Show. is getting old, taking names takes its toll, On a worn-out, busted, beat-up soul like mine Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable products on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit quietcat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com.
1: Yes, there were times
2: I'm sure you knew When I fit off more than I could chew
0: But through it all Frank Sinatra bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms Cable Smith, here with you as always. Thank you so much for dropping by today as we're about to head to Turkey Camp with our good friend Chisholm Cook. Uh, But before we do that, this segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Fusion Wireless Trail Camera. It's the continued evolution of wireless trail camera technology, and here's the cool thing. These cameras used to cost like three or $400, and then you had to pay like $20 a month for a data plan. Those days are long gone. Cameras like 170 bucks, data plans as low as $5 a month. You can get into one affordably. It's the Fusion, and you can find it at StealthCam.com. All right. Well, let's bring on our first guest. Uh, we've been friends for a long, long time, and have chased critters all over uh, this country uh, from the surf of the Texas coast to uh, the uh, back country of Montana and everywhere in between, it is my pleasure to welcome Chisholm Cook back to the show.
1: Thanks, buddy. Um, yeah. Since I skipped elk last year, I guess it's been a while, so it's good to be back. You son of a bitch. Never do that again. <sighs> yeah, I won't. Uh,
0: but we have uh, enjoyed in the meantime, doing our, our other project, uh, justified pursuit. That's been a lot of fun. Not so much, uh, a hunting format, but one that was spawned on a, the idea was spawned on a mountain, certainly in New Mexico wall, uh, chasing elk with a stick
1: and string. Yeah. I know you don't want to get too far down that road, but, uh, you know, I, we talk about that sort of stuff and life in general enough that that's a lot of the feedback I get just like the, uh, a lot of people talk about how it's like listening to Couple of guys just talking around the campfire about life and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, well, it's been a
0: it's been a treat doing that. We'll look forward to see what the future holds there. But uh, I want to talk turkeys. We had, I would say, the most insane turkey hunt of my life for sure, and I think you would agree as well. Uh, down in uh, what is it, Willacy County? Yeah, it's Willacy County, right? Yeah. Yep. Raymondville, Texas is about an eight hour haul for me. So I think I left about 4 a.m. and met you there like around 2 in the afternoon. I think it was 4 hours for you. Pretty close, yeah. Yeah, it's a, a haul for me too from the San Antonio area for sure. But um the turkeys were acting right to say the least. I I shot a a nice double on the first afternoon and those birds just came in on a string right to the call, right to the decoys, lined them up, smacked them and uh we had a delicious dinner. That night which is what i want to talk about really the 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 food aspect here but we, we have to mention your hunt the next day because my god dude i've never experienced i don't know if it was just these birds aren't pressured like the other turkeys that we chase or yeah if we hit it just like on the right couple of days to where they just lost their minds but uh it was like a symphony of turkey sounds and vocalizations that I never heard some of them. I'd never heard before ever, you had hens firing it off, off in all directions. You had gobblers strutting, gobbling their heads off. Uh, and then you had to come in uh, to the decoys that just, and they were putting on a show.
1: Yeah, man. I love everything about turkey hunting. Um, but I, I guess the the thing that I enjoy the most is just watching them and hearing them do their thing. Right. Yeah that uh, just the whole you know routine the whole mating ritual from and to your point both sides right because it you know you, you call birds in with the hen sounds so the more hen sounds you can hear first person you know you become better at mimicking them like I, I said I literally learned how to properly purr with my slate call listening to those birds I've always done it super super soft and I think there's a I think that's effective probably Yeah. but man the purring that those birds were making was more like you know, I, I put Frantic. more pressure on the call and I drug it and I was able to immediately simulate what they were doing. And and then the spitting and the drumming on those two birds that you just mentioned mentioned, I have that was like, I don't know, somehow it was like a bucket list thing of mine to get to really hear the.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and that one Both we had so the one bad. bird in full strut just pivoting around, you know, bowing up to the decoy and then the other bird would go in and out of a, like a quarter or half strut. And every time he would puff up, he'd go. Yeah. And he let yeah. back down and, and I know, they were like 10 yards from me. You could hear that from where you were sitting, right? Of course. Yeah. I was yeah. about 10 yards behind you. And,
0: uh, and all of this is on my YouTube channel, by the way, because i filmed both of the hunts and it only got, you know what it was like, dude, it was like being in the middle of a frantic Turkey orgy, like where yeah, totally everyone was so horny that they all were just losing their minds. And yeah. yeah. So so we have those two birds sitting there and and you you kind of yelled at me on on the previous evening cuz I, I as soon as the birds got to the decoy I lined them up and smoked them. You know I was like I'm here to do business and you're like why didn't you let them like do their thing and like I was like nope don't care wanted to get a double got it. The next day was totally different. I mean your birds we, we watched them for 5 minutes before you even got the shotgun up to your shoulder.
1: Yeah, yeah it was uh it was the best of both worlds. I, uh, yeah. I definitely uh, chastise you a bit for being uh, <laughs> so over eager, but um, it was cool. We got to, I mean, you did get a legit one shot double, which was awesome yeah. uh, and didn't require a follow-up shot like the last one you got. So that was yeah. pretty sweet. And and then we still got to watch, you know, not just those two birds that I we watched for five minutes spitting and drumming all that stuff, but then, you know, six more come storming in and, yeah, like I said, I mean, that I, was
0: the crazy part, dude. So w- we were still calling because w- when you shot the guy's buddy, because Chisholm is on a turkey leash this year, just a little backstory. He already spent some money on that. This was a place where we basically paid a trespass fee and the outfitter just dropped us off and said, you'll have at it. Uh, Lyndall Laxton, uh, L&L Hunt, great dude. Not much of a turkey hunter, has great nil guy hunting. Highly recommend that, but he's got a lot of turkeys. And so anyway, he's like, here you go, guys. This is where I've seen him. Have fun. And, um, so you shoot the one and, and you didn't want to shoot another one. Cause it was like another 500 bucks. Um, and the, the, the buddy never ran off. He just kind of casually looked over at his dead friend and then just started strutting again.
1: I don't even <laughs> think he jumped right. Like, well, I, yeah,
0: but he didn't like leave. He didn't like, he didn't, really didn't spook.
1: He did sort of fluff up a little. Cause I've I've shot before and had him like jump off the ground and, and, and then like come back, you know? But, right. Yeah. I mean, right. that bird, i don't even think got up off the ground he just no, sort of like he didn't took a few he's steps on film. And he, was like, he just
0: stood there like yeah. <laughs> like a badass he's like oh yeah see if you can kill me i'm so jacked up on testosterone i'm not afraid of anything
1: went back uh, to spitting and drumming too
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and so and he does that for like five more minutes he got it all on film and then we're, we're we start you know one of us picked up a slate and started talking again and you hear like a bunch of gobblers responding and they're getting closer. And I'm zoomed in on the one that's still there. And then all of a sudden, five or six more gobblers, every one of them dragging a, a 10-inch rope, appear in frame of the video. And they just start going to town on the recently deceased friend, <laughs> which I've, I've seen it. Actually, you and I have seen it on a turkey hunt in the Hill Country, but it was all jakes. I've never seen mature toms um, to that degree, five or six come in and, and do that deal
1: yeah it, it, <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty awesome man um you know the the interesting thing that i thought of when you point out like just the number of birds that came in mature birds too you know april 1st in south texas from a bunch of research i did is sort of like the first uh gobbling peak mm-hmm. um it's really like kind of the peak of the mating season right you've got some hens that have got a full clutch of eggs but you still have the majority of the hens in the field and so like you know, the, 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 pressure's on, but, you know, I thought the interesting thing about that was, you know, just like deer hunting, they're going to bust up throughout the season. You'll see, you know, at some point, mature toms end up just cruising singles, you know, right. in, in, instead of in, uh, you pairs, know, pairs or, or, like or, forwards, yeah, or tr- yeah. yeah, exactly. They, they break up right out of their bachelor groups. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, we had the double come in, your double came in, then a six bird, mature bird, uh, flock came in. So, you know, as for crazy as it was, uh, and that's two years in a row, we've been there in that, you know, first five, six, seven days, first week or so of April, mm-hmm. same level of just, you know, noise and awesomeness. But, uh, I mean, it, you know, we could be hunting there right now and it would probably be killer, uh, with the right calling strategies and stuff, you know, and it, I was at the end of that weekend, I haven't turkey hunted since. So that was like the first full weekend of I guess April, and at that point, I had been part of eleven turkey kills this year. Uh, I guess when you're two high that high. I two that I harvested, my girls got two. You doubled. My buddy Luke got one. Um, does that add up?
0: Your yeah. other buddy shot a couple too.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, and my my buddy Aaron tripled at my least. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was knew I was missing some. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I got it's it done cool. early. I'm still so, seeing cool. my Instagram full of pictures of guys. On turkeys and i'm like turkey hunt still going on
0: <laughs> and i'm over here in clay county now chasing one specific turkey <laughs> one turkey that's the only one that we have there's yeah. three hens there's one gobbler and uh, i did um recently tape but uh, i haven't released it yet but a, a podcast with a biologist because i was like feeling bad that maybe i was going to kill the only turkey on the property he's like do you have turkeys year round?" i was like no he's like then you, you're not you're not managing for a population they're just coming they're transients that come through right. in the spring he's like you're not a you you're not affecting it he's already bred these hens uh go for it so nice. um but anyway
1: but well, just one quick second man there sir? was a peak in that hen before the birds before the toms came in when we had those hens going and like basically all the way around us you were calling i was calling and they were every that
2: direction. thing
1: just escalated over a three four five minute period to this like fever pitch where again like they made every sound that i'm aware of them making that was so cool man like you could just speaking of like this sort of orgy like feeling it was i mean that was those hens were lit like yeah i'd never heard so i
0: I remember saying on the video dude if it gets any better than this i don't i don't even know what we're doing right (laughs) it can't it
1: can't get any better
0: so that was awesome to share that experience and uh, like i said i don't expect for it to ever happen again but Fingers crossed that it does. (laughs) Um, We are going to take a quick break, work in a a few commercials here, take care of a couple sponsors, and then come back, and we'll get into the most delicious and easy-to-prepare turkey camp meal that you're ever going to find. And we'll get into those uh, delicious, nasty bits after the break. That segment brought to you by Mossberg Firearms Tactical Turkey 12-gauge. That's what I've been using to... Knock these gobblers upside the head the past few seasons. Absolutely love it. Affordable, reliable, rugged, which is what you expect from Mossberg. You can find it at mossberg.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors Show.
2: I miss you. Yeah, the time of wind blows,
1: but I can feel your touch. Kiss you through another
0: day. With a long
1: stretch
0: of highway. There's something nostalgic about the old timey general store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwaith, Texas, at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer, corn, and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season, fishing supplies. They've got foods like anchor tea, grass-fed beef, Dublin sodas, gourmet sauces, and a whole lot more. Also, Ace Hardware. From wall to wall, they have it all. Check it out. The Mills County General Store right there in Goldwaite, Texas.
1: So leave it up to me Take time with a wounded hand Cause it likes to hear Take time with a
0: wounded hand There's a curveball, a little Guess STP like Bringing bring us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by as we are talking turkeys today. Uh, Specifically, we're going to get into my favorite turkey camp recipe, one that I don't know, randomly, just kind of my buddy Chisholm and I came up with a couple years ago while turkey hunting in South Texas. Now it's kind of a tradition, and uh, I think you guys will like it. Um, We certainly love it. And we're going to get into that next. This segment is brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making any more of, right? But we all want it. Whether that's for turkey hunting, running cattle, fishing, or just to get the hell out of the big city. Really, the world is your oyster when you own your own place. And if you're ready to make that dream a reality, head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com. All right. Uh, Will Chisholm thanks for sticking around. Let's get into this delicious nasty bit recipe and this is all post uh our first evening hunt. I've got the two birds on the ground from my double. We've got them cleaned, and uh, we head back to camp and we're tent camping because we're too cheap to stay in the lodge uh and 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 we like the tent yeah. you know it's it's cool to to rough it. We uh, like ticks, yeah, so many <laughs> ticks but uh but yeah so. We, we have a couple bourbons, and then we break out the heart, gizzard, and liver. And this has kind of become our de facto turkey camp tradition. You know, when we have success, um, you bring a little, uh, you know, your little propane stove, and we take some of the fat, uh, which I've always saved the the heart and liver. Um, only You're the only person I know that's taught me, you know, how to properly prepare the gizzards um and and it's becoming more common you know people are starting to go back to innards which i think is great as a hunting community um but but you are also you know responsible for saying hey let's get some of that fat let's cook it in its own fat uh which which we've been doing the last couple seasons and that makes it that makes the world a difference when when you talk about the gizzard you know that takes a little more prep than the heart and the um the liver you know, real quickly, just break down that you know it's hard to do like because this is an audio format. But give a brief description yeah. of, of preparing the gizzard.
1: Sure. One cool thing about the gizzard is that you know certainly early in the season, it usually comes with a lot of fat on it. Uh-huh. It's a fatty organ. Um, so if you don't think to like grab some from you know other parts of the bird, usually you know around like the craw and stuff, you know an early season bird that's mature is going to have a good amount of fat on that gizzard, but. Um, yeah so it's like you know the purpose of the gizzard is to grind up the stuff the bird is eating right so mm-hmm. they, they pick a lot of seeds and and um yeah of that nuts and i guess nuts uh, seeds for sure but all gravel. kinds of other stuff they're little carnivores right they pick up oh you know, they eat rocks
0: I, too gravel and stuff. right well they,
1: so they eat rocks and those go in the gizzard mm-hmm. and so when you're cleaning it you'll feel your knife blade if you go too deep grinding against it which always kind of sucks because i like a sharp knife but um Last year we killed a bird. I think it was the one Charlotte killed. It had a giant caterpillar in its craw. That was pretty cool. Anyway, back to the gizzard. Um, it's like a, you know, it, it's it's kind of a kidney bean shape, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a tube coming in, and we're like the like the kind of the divot in that kidney bean shape, and then a tube coming out of it. And so the feed comes in one side, and that it's a super dense muscle. So if you've ever had fried chicken gizzards, that crunchiness is because of just how. I mean, when you cut that thing open, it is the most kind of beautiful, dark, dark, Uh, it's got almost a different color to me. It it definitely a a little bit different color, definitely texture than the heart meat. Like it is its own unique color, right? But Mm -hmm. that thing just sits there and flexes itself and it grinds those rocks against the seeds and stuff until they can, that's how they, you know, basically, I think it's the initial stage of digestion probably. And, um. So what you do because of the way it's structured, right? There's a very thick internal membrane. that's like a pouch that the feet is in. Then there's the, then there's actually a, a, well, first there's a very thin membrane in there. Then there's a really thick membrane. Then there's the muscle walls. And then the outside, just like any muscle is going to have like a silver skin kind of wrap around it. And I always think it kind of looks like a clamshell where there's this silver skin that wraps around both sides of the organ but it meets on one end. Right. And so you can kind of see how it like works together to smash the thing. And so you've got to basically clean both sides. What I always end up with is like four chunks of gizzard because just the way they're shaped, right. You've mm-hmm. got, if you split it in half, once you've cleaned it, then you end up with like four little nuggets, but you got to clean, you got to skin the inside as well as the outside, which is not, Any different than if you're doing the heart of a deer or an elk, you know, the chambers inside have a membrane. And if you don't clean those inside chambers off, you know, skin those inside chambers off, they're going to be chewy. Right. So you do the outside and the inside. So anyway, if you do it really well, you can make a you make a cut around the circumference of this sort of clamshell shape organ. Right. It's like I said, sort of kidney bean shape flat on the sides, but it also has like a flat outer edge. So it makes it really easy to make this sort of circumference cut around that outside. And you go, I mean, if you go all the way through that inner membrane, it's no big deal. You'll just want to clean it off a little bit better, but if you do it just right, you can get through that first heavy membrane without tearing up that inner membrane, the thin one. Mm -hmm. And then you can just peel that inner membrane out like a sack with all the feet and just toss it. Right.
0: Yeah. Kind of like turning it inside out.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Right. Yeah. So then from there you just take a, a good fillet knife, If you have one, I've done it with just pocket knives and hunting knives and, you know, to varying degrees of success. But there's enough muscle there to get a few good bites anyway. But yeah, then you just fillet off that inner membrane, fillet off that outer silver skin, you know, from the outside of the the organ. And then those pieces of red meat are, they're still going to have that sort of crunchiness that you get from chicken gizzards. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine, I haven't tried it without actually properly skinning them. They would have to be like borderline inedible I mean you'd be gnawing on that silver skin or that inner membrane that inner membrane is oh, yeah, thick you man it's a chew it. yeah that inner membrane is a couple of millimeters thick you know it's it's like a thin piece of leather in there so the, it would be impossible to chew that up but once you do it I mean to me the flavor I love the flavor of it, it it's just a tasty piece of sort of rich meat it's not like um you know eating liver um I, I know you're going to, you, I know your favorite is the liver, right? It's yeah. I so like we all, took three all three pieces.
0: organs. Uh, so now that yeah. he's described how to prep the gizzard, um, we basically chunked up all three organs together, put them in the skillet with some uh, onion, bell pepper. I had a, a seasoning Chipotle gal, uh, cowgirl from Texas select seasonings. It's, it's good stuff. Dump that in there uh, with that fat, very important to put the fat in there. And if, if you don't have, if you forget to get some fat, you could use some olive oil. Uh, but the fat just gives it a little more richness. And then um, basically just simmered that on the on the stove there in the skillet for, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. It do get the vegetables going first, though, because the, uh, the organ meat does not take long to cook. Literally under five minutes, probably. Um, yeah,
1: because they're all small, right? I mean, the, yeah. the heart is...
0: Well, and you don't want to overcook the heart, for sure. So.
1: Or, or we get the a, liver. Or we get r- or, rubbery, or the liver.
0: Yeah. yeah. You get a rubbery texture if you do that. Yeah, I
1: think I think the liver is even worse if you overcook it it gets yeah. it's got a perfect texture if you, you know if you dig liver but if you overcook the liver it gets to kind of uh, it goes from like that sort of when you eat it it's kind of got a pate smoothness to it to, it gets like a gritty is not the right word but crumbly it, mm. it goes to crap if you overcook the liver so what yeah. I do if I'm going to cook all three like that First of all, the, I have to give the meat eater guys credit for the yellow fat thing that came from an old episode where he fried or uh, Ranella fried bear meat in bear fat. I was like, wow, that sounds awesome on a mountainside. But anyway. <clears throat> and then he got um, uh, trichinosis from that. I think it was a different hunt, but yeah. He definitely <laughs> got trichinosis from eating me bear crew meat. crew did, yeah. Right, He's yeah. talked about it on the show before. Yeah, sure. I think the time he fried it in bear fat, they were okay. But yeah. Um, yeah, so you throw that fat in there, you liquefy, you know, you turn the heat on and it's going to liquefy. Um, There's always a few little nuggets because I I guess it's like the actual fat cells that don't really ever liquefy. They just sort of shrink down, but it's kind of amazing how much oil you end up generating once you heat that up, you know, and yeah, um, yeah, season the cut up pieces of those three. Um, Like you said, you know, if you're going to put vegetables in it, which that was the first time we'd done that. And it was, I thought it took it to a whole nother level. Yeah. Throw that in there, get those softening up a little bit. And then the way I would do it would be to start with your gizzard pieces couple minutes, a minute or two before heart next. And then the last thing you want to throw in is that liver. And it only needs a couple of minutes. Um, and as soon as that liver, you can cut a piece and it's not still bloody, then it's all done. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. And so let's rank, let's rank the bites because my family eats a lot of heart from dove to deer, everything in between. We do not throw it away. Ducks, geese, uh, kids, the kids, honestly, people think my kids just are like mind F because they just think heart is like the best, like Stella it is. Sweet little six year old daughter thinks a, a toothpick of dove heart is the best treat in the world. <laughs> like, the, which is, I, I love it. But, uh but so we eat a Sounds lot of like heart
1: kid with good taste to me.
0: Uh, yeah. Um, we, I like liver. I'm about Henry. will eat it. I think the rest of them are free. They, they're, they're fine to pass on that. Um, so we don't do a lot of liver, but I will tell you out of, uh, out of this, I'm just calling it the nasty bits, um, the nasty bits recipe we will come up with a better official name for it. Uh, but I, I like the liver dude. I thought the Turkey liver was the most just sweet and flavorful tender bite out of the whole dish. And, uh, yeah, just mind blowing how good it was. Uh, then I would say heart number two and then
1: gizzard was good. A little chewy for me. Um, wh- wh- how would you rank them? So, if I can diverge a little bit from your ranking style, I would say much like my kids, I can't rank them in terms of how much I love them. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you what I love the most about each one of them. <laughs> as far as flavor goes, I, I'm with you on the liver. I I think it's got a you know unique taste, and I like unique stuff, right? I, you mm-hmm. know, honestly, the heart just tastes like a good piece of meat to me, right? It's a good right. tender little nugget of meat. Which to me, any heart you eat, like if you do it right, again, if you skin heart and you serve it to somebody who's never had it, they're not going to know what they're eating. They're just going to be like, damn, this is delicious, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, turkey is a little bit different than, say, deer heart, but not like noticeably where a heart is a heart. Right. A heart is a heart. Um, So I'd say flavor-wise, because it's unique, it's the liver. And I would say, you know, turkey liver compared to like beef liver, if you've ever eaten that is a way more mild version of that right like oh
0: you, I, I do not like beef liver to be yeah
1: clear. it's it's it can be for a lot of people and i would probably be among them like too potent with that livery yeah, flavor right so it's for it. yeah. it's just enough of it where you you know you're eating liver and it's but it's but it's delicious it's like mm-hmm. a hint of it right it's kind of like how i like my ipas it's like We've airy. Gone,
0: i would say the, airy
1: it has an airy feel to it yeah it's super light like yeah. you said yeah yeah. I was gonna say, kind of like how I like my IPAs a little bit on the milder side, and we got way too far on the hoppy. But anyway, <laughs> um, so so as far as flavor, that one, um, I like the gizzard crunchiness just uh-huh. because it again it's unique. Yeah. Um, so as far as texture, it's you know it's hard to say that the butteriness of the liver is not awesome because it is, but I like the crunchy texture of the gizzard, um, and then I would say the heart is. For by and large, for the you know majority of people who are willing to try it, going to be the most like approachable, mm-hmm. right? Like that that one's pretty easy. So I, if I was to rank them, it would be hard for me to split hairs between the liver and the gizzard. Yeah, again, just to have just eating the, it's a unique organ, right? Other animals we hunt don't even have them, right? So that kind of raises it up, kind of equal with the liver to me, and then the heart would be you know close second to those two as one A and one B.
0: Okay. Okay. And, and then we actually made tacos with it this year. We hadn't yeah. done that previously, um, which was awesome. So much flavor though in this dish that y- I think we had salsa, but didn't even put it on the tacos. Like it was like so much, it was just my Didn't need it. Yeah, yeah. It was so good. Well, that Chipotle uh,
1: seasoning gave it that nice yeah. sort of salsa. Shout out to Wild
0: Bill uh in Texas Select Seasonings, by the way. Chipotle Cowgirl. Good stuff. Um, all right, man. Well, hey, we are out of time. I look forward to, uh, the next time we are in Turkey camp together and, uh, I'm excited also because I weaseled
1: my way onto your Turkey lease. It looks like next year. Yeah, man, that's going to be pretty <laughs> sweet. We should just plan on spending like a week down there in the peak yeah. of the season for sure. Yeah. Can I say one awesome. more thing about Turkey fat? Do it. We found this out last year. I'm sure it has something to do with just the garlic and salt and pepper that, that, I, you know, generally kind of goes into everything, but if you take a spoonful of that turkey fat and just sip it, <laughs> it tastes like Ruffles potato chips. So I'm convinced they must fry Ruffles potato chips in turkey fat from turkey processing operations or something like that. <laughs> it, it is like a little spoonful of golden Ruffles. Anyway. Yeah, definitely. I'm yeah, looking forward to, to, to next to season waste. already. Buddy.
0: Yep. All right, man. Well, hey, I appreciate the time and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Y'all check out Justified Pursuit, by the way. Yeah. Take it easy. All right, bud. So there he goes, our good friend, Chisholm Cook. That segment of the presentation proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics and their entire lineup of Vortex wear. You know, Vortex has long made it a habit of uh, putting out awesome T-shirts, hoodies, caps. And they've expanded that to include, like, shorts and button-up shirts, leisure wear type of stuff, travel. You know, I like to wear it in uh, airports um, but yeah, you can find their entire lineup of Vortex wear at vortexoptics.com and if you use my promo code LONESTAR20, that will get you 20% off all Vortex Optics apparel. Coming up next, we'll head down to the Texas coast and take a look at our trout fishery, specifically post Snowmageddon 2021. Robin Rikers of Texas Parks and Wildlife joins us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor you Show. Way, way, way. You're the Star night vision and thermal imaging has been helping hunters light up the night for over a decade now. I've been with them for quite some time. Back in the early days, thermal optics were pretty expensive. You might not realize it though. The average guy can get into a thermal rifle scope these days very affordably. I've got the Thermion XP50. Absolutely love that scope. It's got a diverse color palette. Lots of options to choose from. Whether you want white hot, uh, black hot. Red Hot, you name it. There's tons of options, literally. It's got internal recording as well, and it's got internal and external battery options. So you can hunt all night without having to worry about running out of batteries. You can find the Thermion XP50 as well as their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics right there at Pulsar nv.com spawn is right around the corner your reels have been re-spooled, and the tackle box is ready to roll but the question is can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend call david boone at third coast diesels he'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today
2: uh, my name is Robbie Byers. I'm the executive director of CCA Texas, and I'm listening to the Lone Star Outdoors radio show.
0: Because the weather's nice and the water's bright, and I could fish here all damn night. When you had a bad day and your mind is in a haze, you can clear your head in these salt water bays. All right, Saltwater Bay is one of my favorites from our friend, Brandon Keys, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always. Thanks for spending a part of your week with me as we're all set to check in with an old pal in the form of our Texas Parks and Wildlife Coastal Fisheries Director, Robin Rikers. What effects did Snowmageddon 2021 have on our coastal fisheries, specifically trout and redfish. Robin will break that down for us because there are some emergency regulations and new bag limits that have been put in place. And we will get to the bottom of those in just a second. First, however, this segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Smokers. I've been using the uh, 12 by 24 barbecue pit. I've got it in the backyard. And this past week, I smoked a wild turkey breast, which one of my favorite things to do, on the all-season smoker. Anyway, but throw your favorite dry rub on there, coat it really good, put it on there for one and a half to two hours. Comes out just at low heat, uh, by the way. You don't want a bonfire in there. Comes out just as tender and juicy as any old butterball you'll find at the grocery store. And uh, and I'm not kidding either. Folks say that it dries out. Well, yeah, it does if you overcook it. But uh, check it out. You can find all-seasons entire lineup of barbecue pits and smokers at com. All right. With that being said, let's bring on our next guest, a longtime friend of the program, Texas Parks and Wildlife Coastal Fisheries Director, Robin Rikers. Thanks for being here.
2: Well, good to be here and good to visit with you as well.
3: Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So who would have thought that we would have had this uh, crazy, uh, I just call it snowmageddon. I mean, here in North Texas, <laughs> uh, I, you know, it was like we were living in Colorado. It was absolute insanity. We had six inches of snow on the ground. Temperatures, like, um, I saw negative four degrees at my house, which we had to move out of my house because we didn't have any power. So that was, that was interesting, and, you know, that was pretty typical of a lot of uh, North Texas families. Um, in your part of the world, what, what, what was the situation? You, I think you're based out of Austin, yeah?
2: Yeah, we're we're in Austin, Austin headquarters here for Parks and Wildlife, and and of course Austin seemed to have the same difficulties with with the cold weather and and of course electricity issues and then water issues and so forth for a lot of people. But uh, so it was kind of an interesting time, like you said, we're just not built for that kind of weather, and and uh, it it certainly uh, got colder than we like to see it here. So. Right.
3: Well, so as far as our coastal fisheries are concerned. Have, had you seen weather that, that was this cold and lasted this long in your lifetime?
2: Well, in my lifetime, uh, I, I happened to be not one with the department, certainly uh, thinking about coastal issues at the time, but of course, uh, I, I'm. I was lived through that eighty three freeze uh-huh. uh was in the greater Houston area at that time, and then in eighty nine I was here for the two significant freezes that occurred and I was with the department at that point in time so i mean yes we I've seen similar freezes, but boy, this one was a cold one and it and it sure had a long duration to it,
3: yeah, so in the eighty three and eighty nine freezes did our like our bays estuaries. Did they actually freeze up? Because um, well, I didn't were... really see a lot of info on, on that happening this time. It was cold for a long time, uh, but I didn't yep. see like just ice everywhere out in the bays.
2: Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Certainly in '83, and and we have some photos here in the department of of that ice stacking up as in in some of our base systems. And we saw a little bit of that in this current one in some really shallow areas, but not the same way that it was seen in that '83 freeze for for, for certain. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you know it definitely got cold and and stayed cold, it 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 didn't have quite the impact of that '83 freeze.
3: Okay, so. As far as fish loss is concerned, you know, I, I saw images um, of hundreds of dead trout just washed up on beaches along the Texas coast. What areas were hit the hardest and why?
2: Well, it, it seems like I guess way... let me
3: ask, um, Yeah, like, go ahead. I'm sorry. Are shallower bays more, you know, prone to, to have bigger fish loss?
2: Well, you're you're exactly right. You're you're hitting on the the what kind of at least what we believe kind of happens when that weather starts to get cold and socks in like that. Um, you know, it's the water temperatures that are really important, and so those shallower bays, depending on the winds and so forth, they seem to to you know the the churning of the water will happen, and they'll get colder, and can you know and, and can really cause those mortalities more than in those deeper bay systems where those fish can get to deeper water. um, They can, you know, kind of find a thermocline maybe that allows them to stay in a temperature zone that while they may be stunned or a little bit, you know, uh, um, not quite as active, they can live through it, but in those shallower bays, they get caught, and and they you know just reach points where the mortality level, the the temperature basically is there long enough that 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 they, that we see those mortalities. And so, you know, we've got some areas on the coast that even in those freezes in the 90s that weren't as severe, you know, we'll see you know dead fish in those 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 areas frequently or routinely when we have these kinds of events. Um, as far as where we got most impacted, it really was from Galveston Bay South. Um, Galveston and Sabine were less impacted, but then Galveston Bay South was the most impacted. and of course, the lower Laguna Madre and the the upper Laguna Madre were the most impacted when we think about fish kills.
3: Well, I, I've spent a lot of time in Galveston and in <laughs> the Laguna Madre. Unfortunately, those are like the two places that I've uh, when I do hit the coast that i I enjoy most frequently and you know the Laguna Madre is certainly a shallow bay system Um, when you're talking about like just comparing where fish were more prone to struggle versus where they seem to you know not have as much of a loss is it a difference between like three and five feet or are there are we talking like 10 feet, like what, what, what was that magic number where these fish?
2: Well, it's it's hard for, and I'll be honest, it's hard for me to put a magic number on it because it, it, it really has so many variables included sure. in it. Length of time of that cold, um, the wind action that can occur because of that cold. When we've seen some of these kills in the past, a lot of times it's also that 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 clock Arctic air pushing down real rapidly before fish can have a time to escape and find that deeper water. Mm-hmm. In this particular event, it started getting cold, and then it just stayed cold. Uh, but we had had cold weather before, so the fish were able, in some of those deeper bays, were able to find deeper water and, and you know, seemingly uh, did a little bit better. But as, as you know, we, we obviously know now, looking at the Laguna Madre that shallow water system with that cold lasting as long as it did, it certainly had a, a fairly significant impact on spotted sea trout um, mm-hmm. and other fish as well, but spotted sea trout was the notable species there. Right. Well, so
3: I guess, what what would you define as a deeper bay? Maybe that will help us understand, well, like, because, you instance, know, wading the Laguna Madre, sometimes I'm in a foot, two feet, yes. three feet of water. That's
2: shallow. Yes. Well, and so like Galveston Bay is a deeper bay. Sabine is a deeper bay. Um, Corpus Christi Bay is a deeper bay. And interestingly enough, one of the predominant species there that we saw kill is sand sea trout. And of course, they like a deeper bay system. And so we saw more more mortalities of that fish there than we saw of other fish species Mm -hmm. just because of their abundance being higher there. Okay. Okay.
3: And so what other species were hit? pretty hard uh, it didn't in these photos that i've seen there's a few redfish in there but not you know not as enough to really say oh we lost a, a bunch of redfish
2: yeah it seems like the redfish seem to i mean we, we certainly lost some don't don't get me wrong because i've seen those photos as well and we've we've got documented evidence of a lot of those as well but in, in proportionally it seems like spotted sea trout um, in upper and lower Laguna Madre and, and certainly in some of our other systems as well, but they were hit the hardest. Uh, then next on that list, we would say black drum and sheep's head, mm. sand sea trout in Corpus. And so there's, there's you know, some different animals in different locations based on their abundance. Um, but again, by, by and far away, spotted sea trout, the one we're most concerned about.
3: Yeah, which is a shame because that's the one that uh, probably drives the most tourism up and down the coast. Um, heck, you could catch it. used to be 10. It's five now in most of the places. What about the bait fish? Because when you talk about recovery, uh, obviously, as we hope that these, these sea trout recover, that's all contingent on available food. Uh, what, does anyone know or do you guys have an idea of how the bait fish were impacted?
2: Yeah, when we you know we we use kind of a, a guidelines to to measure these sorts of events, whether they're pollution events or or red tide or freeze, um, and we try to go in and and basically determine the magnitude of that kill. And in this particular kill, of course, it's you know it's been documented. You've probably seen some of the numbers we've put out, but about three point eight million fish. Over ninety percent of those fish are those non-game species you're talking about—forage fish, um, you know, silver perch, hardhead catfish, pinfish—and um, so those fish, you know, as you say, while we don't we, we don't get as concerned about them because they're not the recreationally sought species when we think about tourism and 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 that sort of thing. But they, as you suggest, they're very ecologically important to the overall health of the bay system. Now the good news for those is they all rebound ra- rather quickly as well, but they were certainly impacted and, and you know even anecdotally we've heard uh, from individuals who are fishing now that it seems like the, the, the game fish that are there are, are hungry and feeding rapidly, so I'm you know, biting everything that you throw at them. Um, whether that's just an anecdotal tale or whether it's true, I, I certainly don't know but, um, you know, we are concerned about those other species as well.
0: And justifiably so. Uh, now that we do know the implications, uh, as far as what you guys have been able to uh, ascertain anyway, um, let's take a break and we'll come back and look at the reaction. Texas Parks and Wildlife has implemented emergency restrictions on uh, bag limits and uh, sizes as far as uh, new, uh, new, basically a slot limit for our sea trout and we'll do that after the break that segment brought to you by SCI the worldwide leader in big game conservation they've got your interest at heart when it comes to protecting your rights as an outdoorsman folks are trying to infringe on your way of life all over this country non-stop every day it never ends and SCI is there on the front lines fighting to protect what is ours so to join this great group of folks head over to Safari Club. We'd love to have you. We'll be right back with more from Texas Parks and Wildlife's Robin Rikers right here on sci's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Tomorrow
1: we can drive around this town and let the cops chase us around. The path is gone, but something might be found to take its place.
0: Hey! Whether you're headed to the lake for crappie, the coast for redfish, or trying to put your tag on that big gobbler this spring, don't let your truck tank your next trip. Third Coast Diesels does it all. From maintenance to repairs to full diesel rebuilds, any accessory on any truck doesn't matter. They also do lifts, wheels, tires, health. you name it, Third Coast Diesel does it. Call David Boone at 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm & Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmerandranch.com, the website, or call chat at 830-776-3605. In the market for a compact track loader? Then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today.
1: All the tequila to uh, won't make me feel when he's stronger I know it won't help but I'm gonna try
0: Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoors Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for sticking around. Do appreciate it. We're still visiting with Robin Rikers, head of our Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, Coastal Fisheries Division. But before we pick it back up with Robin, this segment brought to you by Big and Jay to die for. And I keep telling you, big bucks are willing to die for a taste of that sweet, sweet Big and Jay. You can find their entire lineup of whitetail attractants at bigandj.com. Robin, thanks for sticking around. Before we get into the emergency regulations, I think it's important to point out that you guys also implemented an emergency closure for a couple days there during Snowmageddon. Talk a little bit about that and uh, why it was necessary from your standpoint.
2: When we go into these freeze events, the the significant freeze events, is if we can see that they're coming, we have set up those thermal refuge areas, those deep holes in certain bay systems that seem to stack a lot of fish in them during these events. Many of them are, are actually accessible by land, and they used to be places where people would go and basically exploit that 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 stacking up of fish either through legal methods and in fact sometimes in the past through illegal methods of dip netting and so forth, mm-hmm. and so um, we basically closed those and we closed those really heading from Sunday night at midnight into Monday and Tuesday, uh, and then lifted that closure. But those are you know that's a those closures are designed to let those fish basically get through that cold period, find that deep water that that place that. That thermal refuge, and then hopefully, as the water temperatures start to warm, they get out of there and they're less susceptible to being caught that way. Okay, yeah, and
3: I obviously applaud that. Um, our inland fisheries does a similar thing with alligator gar when the when the um, circumstances are right. I mean, these these uh, alligator gar don't spawn every year, so when they do get the perfect conditions to actually spawn, if Texas Parks and Wildlife is aware. They'll go in there, and the,
2: the inland fisheries will, will close that. Um, you are exactly correct. I mean, for obviously for spawning versus just saving the fish at this point in time, but, but you're exactly correct. That's a, That's a, the same kind of use of the environmental variables that we can, can determine and judge and, and know when they're coming, and, and inland fisheries using that to an advantage from a management perspective, and this is the same kind of thing we do here in these freeze events. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, so where we are now – post uh,
3: snowpocalypse we've got some new regulations uh, I think I saw a three fish limits and a very slot uh, slot specific um, regs tell us you know break that down the details and then the, the areas um, where those will be uh, enforced
2: uh, yeah sure L- we would, would be glad to do that so as we looked at that freeze event and we presented that to the Commission in in late March Given that the Laguna Madre had been hit as hard as it had been hit, especially for spotted sea trout, and we really were looking at other species as well, but spotted sea trout was the one that stood out, and so that's the one that we recommended to the commission, and they accepted that recommendation and and passed that recommendation of an emergency action dealing with the Laguna Madre for spotted sea trout. And it basically reduced the bag limit from five fish to three fish and change that that kind of slot limit that we had, which was a 15-inch minimum. Mm-hmm. They move that up to a 17-inch minimum, and then because we had the one over 25, that kind of served as a maximum, and they moved that down to 23 inches. Mm-hmm. And so the whole goal of that is to basically, um, as we try to go through this freeze, it's emergency rules, so it lasts 120 days, but as we go into really determining the full effects of this freeze by by using our gill nets and really understanding right now we know the number of fish that were killed, but we don't know what that really did to our overall population mm-hmm. and how that you know, really impacted the population. And our spring gill nets will help us with that, and we're in the midst of collecting those now. Um but what that will do because spotted sea trout spawn from about April to September, it basically is is giving us an opportunity to leave more of those spawning fish in the waters, in the Laguna Madre, to hopefully accelerate whatever recovery we may need. And and we know we need some, obviously you don't lose that many fish um and, and not need some recovery, but we you know, we'll know better around July as to what that true impact was. Okay. Well and I don't think any
3: sportsman or woman should take issue with that i don't i don't think that they will um we need to do everything we can to to take those precautions to make sure that the fishery rebounds uh as quickly as possible um i guess the only concern well you said it's 120 days so it's not i mean there is a sunset there so it's not like you guys just dropped the hammer and said hey you know new rules yeah you know, if you don't like it tough luck <laughs>
2: Good. C- correct. Under emergency rules, the, the way that's set up for the department and really all agencies is they can you can do that emergency rule for 120 days. It can be extended one time for 60, so you can get as many as 180 days. But if we were going to do anything beyond that, it would have to go through a normal rulemaking process.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, good stuff. I uh, Certainly, like I said, I applaud the uh, initiative that you guys took to make sure that those fish that were stacking up weren't exploited, and then also, you know, we've got to do what we've got to do. Three fish uh, is still plenty for for a meal, and uh, you know, I can feed my family of of uh, five off off three nice trout. So, uh, which is all I'm looking to do anyway when I go down to the coast. And.
2: What- Well, we were certainly trying to have that balance. Obviously, we want people continuing to buy fishing licenses and and go to the coast and enjoy our great natural resources that we have down there. But as we try to determine what the impacts of the freeze is, balancing that and and trying to make sure that we can recover just as quickly as we can so that that fishery will be back to what it was just as fast as we can get it there. Okay. So I
3: guess the last question I have is, could you um, just reiterate, where that regulation is from, from where to where. Like, I'm going to Galveston in July. I don't know if that's part of it or not. But uh... No, it
2: no, doesn't impact you there. It basically impacts the upper Laguna Madre and the lower Laguna Madre. Everything north of the JFK Causeway there in Corpus Christi mm-hmm. uh, basically stays under the five-fish, normal 15-inch minimum size limit to 25 inches um, that, that we've been under. But south of the JFK Causeway, uh, we're under those newer restrictive guidelines. Okay, perfect. Well, Robin, I
3: certainly appreciate it. We'll have to do this again uh, relatively soon and, and hit on red snapper uh, thing. That, you know, species we've talked about together a lot over the years. And um, I did see
2: that I think the
3: uh, quota was increased this year from last year.
2: Qu- quota was increased slightly last week, uh, but there there's certainly a lot of good news to talk about on that on that red snapper front with a with a study that was led by by Hart Institute. Um, it's kind of nomenclature is the Great Red Snapper Count, and uh, it it really shows what we've been trying to show folks over here in Texas for a long time that and and with our federal friends as as we've tried to work through these management issues that Texas has a lot of fish and yeah. and we you know we've got some greater opportunity that might be coming our way because of that soon. So awesome. be, be happy to come back and talk to you about that sometime.
3: We'll, we'll get that on the calendar. I, I certainly appreciate it Robin. thanks so much for the time and uh, have a great rest of your weekend.
2: Well you as well and and go go, go, go get outdoors somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it. Take care. All right, take care.
0: So there you have it. the emergency speckled trout regulations pertaining to that uh, specific stretch of the coast that Robin outlined. Uh, always great visiting with Robin, and we will have to do that that uh, follow up on our red snapper fishery in the near future. That segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Whether it's a speckled trout like the one I've got on my wall, or a largemouth bass, a barracuda, you name it. If you want a replica done of a wall hanger fish, uh, and remember, trophies in the eye of the beholder, right? But if you've got one you want to put on the wall. You need to give Rustic Reminders a shout. Josh and Becky do amazing fish mounts in addition to uh, everything else. I mean, they obviously do it all. But if you catch that fish of a lifetime this spring or summer, take your pictures, take your measurements, and give them a call. You can find them at grthenumber 8 mountscom All right. Well, um, unfortunately, just looking at the clock here, got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to both of our guests today, Robin Rikers and our good friend uh, Chisholm Cook. You can check out our other podcast, uh, Chisholm and I's, at uh, justifiedpursuit.com, by the way. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Oh,
1: but you can't rub the wind, and you sure can't tame a rattlesnake. Right Text Tornado